Hello, I'm JR. Hi, I'm Lee. Hi, I'm Mark. And uh, for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. This is the Blue Box Podcast. Brought to you by Starburst Magazine. Excellent. Good start. Good start. Right. What are we going to be talking about today, guys? Well, uh, news, I think, what's been going on. Just, you know, we'll get straight in there and talk about stuff that's happening right now in the world of Doctor Who. Well, of course, there is the one big news item that we've had lately, and that is... K-9 is uh, coming back. Mark, would you like to take a guess? Um, It's the announcement of the new companion. That was the new companion. Uh, Yeah, Mark. We know you know. (laughs) Don't try and pretend otherwise. Yeah, Yeah. of course. I'm so glad Adric's coming back. Hey, Hey, that was my guess. I'd been guessing that Adric Mm. was coming back for ages. Stephen Moffat, he said... What was it he said? He said that the uh, Doctor would find his new companion in the place he least expected to find someone. In his armpit. Well, and also he said something along the lines of it would be the person he'd least expect to find. So my assumption was Adric's dead on planet Earth at the time of the dinosaurs. And so, you know, where else would be the least likely place and who else would be the least likely person? You would be surprised as well, because if you've seen episode five on the DVD, it looks pretty certain that he's gone, you know. That's not real, Mark. I I hate to tell you this, that's not real. Mm. I really do believe that if Adric's back in time on on, on the world of dinosaurs, he will be running around in a loincloth with Silurians behind him. (laughs) <laughs> and he will be in charge of those guys. Hey, Stephen Moffat, I don't know if you realise this, this is a show about time travel. There's nothing to stop you from going back and getting Adric. Yeah, less time. Apart from some <laughs> good taste. So, okay, Jenna Louise Coleman. Okay, who is she? Well, does anybody have any idea? I've got to be honest, I only know what I read in the papers that she used to be in one of the soaps. Have Ever you? Done. No. Also, Waterloo Road. Waterloo Road. Award-winning Waterloo Road that beat Doctor Who in the national television. Only once. Mm. Doctor Who's won that thing how many times? Lost count now. Must be twice, Mm. if not three or four. Well, they've won it once as well, which is always a bonus. But not in Waterloo Road. No. Okay. Has anybody seen Waterloo Road? Yeah, I've seen loads of it. Have you? So you've seen her? Yeah. uh, No, not that particular. When did? When was she on? I think she was in in like two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. Oh no, that was a long time ago. It's like Grange Hill for adults, basically. Is it good? No, (laughs) (laughs) it's not that great, but it's it's good fun. It's good fun. Well, that's kind of stuff. But she's also in Titanic at the moment. Anybody seen any of that? I've seen it advertised, but it's not really on my radar at the moment. We watched the first episode today on um, Sky Plus. And, you know, I'm not entirely sure we're going to be watching the rest of it, to be okay, perfectly honest. but you said that she was in it. She was in it. The, what they're doing with this series, they've got four episodes, and they're doing... Each episode takes you through the whole story from start to finish from a different person's perspective. Okay. So in the first episode, she's one of the characters in the background. Presumably, like, episode two or episode three, she's going to be more in the foreground. It's one of those things. It's like oh. a Kishlovsky. I mean, have you ever seen... <laughs> Explain. It's going way over my head <laughs> Explain. Now. Have you seen The Ten Commandments? Or Three Colours? No, I'm uh, really oh, yeah. uncivilised. Well, if you've seen Three Colours, it's three films which all tell different stories, but from each of the three films, the main character turns up as a guest character in the other two films. And the same, he also did The Ten Commandments. And The Ten Commandments were ten 50-minute TV movies in Poland, all set on the same estate. And each one was a different family, but in each of the 
10 episodes, you would have the families from the other stories turning up in the backgrounds of the episodes. Right, so quite a good idea, really. Yeah, well, I'm assuming that's what they're doing with Titanic. Only having watched the first episode, I can't say. But the way the first episode went, that's the only way they can carry on and do the rest of the story. And Mm. I'm sure I've heard this, that the second episode starts back at the start again and just follows through along the same timeline with the different characters. Have we ever ever had a, a Doctor Who episode like that? Or a few Doctor Who episodes like that? Could it work in the world of Doctor Who, that, that formula? I don't know. Maybe that's something for the 50th anniversary. Maybe. I don't know if it would work. I mean, every episode would have to have the Doctor in it. The only way that could work would be if the Doctor was in one episode, Peter Davison. Mm. In another episode, Paul McGann, Christopher Eccleston. Well, not necessarily. well it could do. That'd be fantastic. What a great anniversary what a, idea. Yeah. And the other Doctors just turn up. At, you know, your well, first episode, you've got David Tennant for 45 minutes. And then two minutes from the end, Matt Smith turns up, taking you into episode five when you see it from Matt Smith's perspective. Yeah, I think, that would, I think that would work. Back to the Future did it. Oh, did they? Uh, yeah, with Marty McFly hiding from himself. Oh, I and see what you're saying. Yeah. So you get the Doctor hiding from himself. That's quite amusing. It would work. Yeah. I mean, they've already done a kind of uh, multi-episode kind of setup with Tortured Children of Earth. So if you had like a five... The Five Nights, yeah. yeah. I mean, I... Not so much with Miracle Day. My assumption is they've got to at least have thought of that for the 50th anniversary. Yeah, well, they've got something big planned, obviously, keeping it pretty uh, close. They must have something. Hmm. Are we going to keep the anniversary talk until, say, next podcast? Yeah, the next. We were going to concentrate on the anniversary next time, so we'll talk more about that. We were talking about Jenna. Jenna Louise, is that her name? Well, none of us have really anything to say about (laughs) her, do we? Well, well, she's cute. Do you think? Yeah, I think she reminds me a little bit of uh, Zoe, actually. Does she? She reminds me of, I was trying to think of this, she reminds me of Christina Ricci. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. She was in the Addams Family movie, is that right? Yeah, Yeah, I think, yeah. Mm. And she was in um, Last of the High Kings, which nobody's ever heard of, but it was one of my favourite movies. No, no idea, it's lost on me. No, don't don't Okay, (laughs) she was in that. She was in that. Yeah. So, anything else in the news? So we've got Jenna on board. Well, we know more or less what the first five episodes are going to be, and we know kind of what the plan is. We know what the start date is, pretty much. Do you? We do. We know right. the start date and the end date, pretty much. Well, I, for you know, I think there may be people out there like me who don't, who work and have families who probably don't get to the papers or. Well, or, or the thing the is, nobody's forums. actually mentioned the dates, but what they have said yeah. is that the series is going to be coming back in the, quote, late autumn, unquote. And it's going to run right through Christmas and into the new year, 14 episodes in a row. So if you take it as read that episode six, Christmas Day episode, is going to be on Christmas Day, if you discount the Saturday immediately prior to Christmas, because obviously Amy and Rory are just going to have to left, uh, just going to have left. So you want to, going to give like a 10 days to build up a bit of tension before you bring the new companion on. Mm-hmm. So discount the Saturday before and then give people time to savor the episode. So discount the Saturday afterwards and a straight run then 14 episodes with like a one episode break Christmas in the middle of a fortnight start on November the 17th and you finish on February the 23rd. That sounds fine to me. I like You've thought about run. this an awful lot. Well, no, I just did the mass. <laughs> <laughs> but they said it was going to be a straight run through, so I just got a calendar out, pinned Christmas Day, came back five Saturdays and went forward eight Saturdays, and those were the two dates I got. It took me about all of, what, 23 seconds? 
I used to think I was a Doctor Who nerd, but I think I'm a bit of an amateur in comparison to you, really. I think we both are, mm. actually. Yeah, mm. We're going to be learning a lot from this chaps <laughs> sitting next to us <laughs> right here. Um, yeah, I mean, autumn. Come on, it's back in autumn. Yeah, well, so, I, this I was probably always Stephen Moffat's plan. Yeah, he has said that it's that kind of time of year that gives you that kind of The goosebumps, extra... the chills. You want to watch Doctor Who in the dark. Yeah. And... You know, when he took over from uh, Russell T. Davis, I think he did the first series in a Russell T. Davis template. And I'm not talking about just when it went out, those 13 weeks in the spring. I mean the other things as well. I mean, the 11th hour, his opening episode was, in all but name, a Russell T. Davis episode, really, wasn't it? I mean, a lot of the characterization and the story beats and everything were exactly the kind of thing you'd have expected to see in a Russell T. Davis story, just with a Stephen Moffat spin on it. I mean, you had the Stephen Moffat sense of humour, but, I mean, the great big eye in the sky, what could be more Russell T. Davis than that? Mm. So I think the first year, Stephen Moffat was trying to make his own mark on the programme, but trying not to pull it too far away from what people had been expecting from Russell T. Davis. So I don't think, until you got to... The second series Stephen Moffat did, you really started to see what Stephen Moffat wanted to do with Doctor Who, to be perfectly honest. I do slightly disagree. I think with the 11th hour, when it kicked off, I mean, straight away, you've got the Doctor hanging from the TARDIS, flying through. You know, that's quite RTD, and that's quite fun. Yeah. But then as soon as he lands in the garden, oh, the yeah. whole feeling of that episode is completely different to everything that went before. Do you think so? Definitely. There's I no don't, yeah, I wouldn't argue with the feeling. What I'm talking about is the story beats. Um, and things like the giant eye in the sky and the way it was all resolved yeah. with the uh, countdown to zero on the yeah. uh, computer devices and everything. Yeah, and even the hokey snake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like you took a... Russell T. Davis plot, and then you got Stephen Moffat to write it. That's what I'm saying. Mm. Well, I like the mystery that you brought to it. The fairy tale mystery in that story. Yeah. It's a haunted house. But it I'm, not a huge, I'm not a huge fan of that episode, it though. It could have been so much more. Because I think it falls completely between those two stools. And so I don't think it's really got a massive identity of its own. I'm not saying it's not fun. I enjoyed it. It was great fun. But, I mean, I would never say it was a great Doctor Who. I think if you look at the first stories of a lot of the Doctors, for me, I mm, thought it was a pretty them. strong one. Yeah, it did well. Did if you, you put compare it, it to the others. Yeah, none of them have been great Doctor Who's, really, mm. have they? And Apart from maybe Power of the Daleks, and we're never going to see that, so we're never going to know. Mm, twin Dilemma. <laughs> <laughs> it stands up well if you're sticking next to Twin Dilemma and Time and the Rani, for sure. I wasn't saying it was a weak episode. I'm just saying I don't think it was a great episode. It wasn't a classic, in my it's, opinion. It's, it's, you're right. It's got elements of it being brilliant. Fish fingers and custard, love it. The little girl, yeah, yeah, uh, was fantastic in it. Some huge, in fact, wonderful why, things. Why didn't she travel with him? Well, yeah, that would have been great. That would have been better than having. But the then media. you know, <laughs> she's a great little actor as well. Yeah, but they only get like an hour on set a day, and they yeah. have to have tutors with them and what It'd have be a you. Production nightmare. Yeah, you couldn't have a working. Uh, what do they work? Eleven day fortnights on Doctor Who. I don't think you can have eleven day fortnights with nine hour days with a eight year old actress. I don't know a nine hour day. That's a whole season. Just just cram it all in in one go. <laughs> couple of litres of Red Bull, no one had ever known. <laughs> yeah. They'd have to film the entire series live, <laughs> once a week <laughs> on a Saturday, school, yeah. 60 minutes live. Like yeah, they did with Quatermass. Yeah, like they did with Quatermass. Well, mm, yeah. 
Oh, yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Again, lost, though. So, and anyway, the subject of lost, I think we'll, <laughs> we'll reserve podcast. lost for another podcast. Yeah. There's plenty of other news, though. Okay, enlighten us. I mean, um, we know what those five episodes before Christmas are going to be. So basically, okay. we know roughly what the first six episodes are. Okay, is this is this out in the open? Yeah, this is know. out in the open. This is in, Enli- enlighten me. Right. Well, there's five episodes before Christmas, and they are in order: a Stephen Moffat, a Chris Chibnall, a Toby Whithouse, a Chris Chibnall, and a Stephen Moffat. And the last one, the fifth one, is the one that Amy and Rory leave in. And that's going to be taking place in New York, and it's going to feature the Weeping Angels. Oh yeah. Okay. So predictions, what's going to happen to Amy and Rory? Can we have a prediction right now? Well, I I know what I think. Go. I think the irony is going to be that Rory lives and Amy dies. <laughs> Trouble is, Rory and Amy have both died on any number of occasions in that program over the yeah. last two years. Everybody's died. Yeah, killing somebody off is... I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Stephen Moffat has said, quote, the way they leave is going to be heartbreaking. And he has also said, quote, Somebody is going to die this time. And he made that a promise. He promised but, that on the start of last season as well. Well, do you know what? He might have promised that somebody's going to die and he might have promised that it's going to be heartbreaking and he might be hoping that we expect it to be something that we've not seen before in the last two years. But we've seen Amy die on two, three, four occasions and probably mm-hmm. die as well. I mean, you could argue that in The Girl Who Waited... Mm-hmm. She died in that, but it was the older Amy, so it wasn't a real Amy anyway. But the Amy who died at the end of Pandorica Opens did die. She was brought back to life by the Pandorica in the next episode. So Amy did die at the end of mm-hmm. Pandorica Opens. So Amy has died. And Rory died in the Silurian story. Apart from any number of other times when he may or may not have really died, he really died in the Silurian story. So if Stephen Moffat wants it to be heartbreaking and he's promising us that somebody's going to die and hoping we're going to expect something we've not seen before, it's not going to be either of those two who die, is it? Well, it can't be the Doctor, can it? Well, the Doctor's already died as well. He died yeah, in yeah. the Big Bang, <laughs> didn't he? So, I mean, well, yeah, apart from all the regenerations. And, of course, he died in Let's Kill Hitler. And yeah. So, well, maybe the TARDIS dies. That's my Well, no. How about this for a <laughs> no, theory, properly. then? Get rid of it for six episodes and have him chasing after it. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Well, how about this for a theory? In 2008, when we were coming up to Journey's End, the last episode with Catherine Tate, and it was going to be a companion fest. All the companions were coming back to be in that story. And Russ T. Davis said at the time, and one of them will die. And it transpired that what he meant was the the Donna Noble who had travelled with the Doctor had died because she had her memories reset to the time before she began her travels with the Doctor. So that version of Donna was effectively dead, even though the actual character lived on. So effectively, when he said somebody's going to die, he was lying because nobody did die. Well, they did the same thing with Rose, didn't they? Doomsday. Quite they so. Well, I I think Stephen Moffat's doing the same thing again. Mm. I think the heartbreak is not going to be that Rory or Amy die. I think the heartbreak is going to be that the river song that we have grown to love over the last (laughs) two or three series is going to get taken out of the timelines when the Doctor gives Amy and Rory their baby back. 
and the adult River Song will never have existed. Therefore, you know, the character that's played by Alex Kingston mm -hmm. will die. Therefore, wiping all of those stories out of existence. Well, he's done that before. He did and that in The Big Bang, films. didn't he? Mm. Uh, he's got no qualms about doing yeah, that. Don't get me started on that. Yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Actually, yeah. you've revised your opinion on that, haven't you? Yeah, I hated it when I first saw it because, you know, it was the Doctor coming back through time to save himself from an impossible situation. And at the end, there was this really great reset, the entire universe that wiped out every Doctor Who story and... Also, every episode of Jeremy Kyle that had Deus ever existed. Well, oh, well. I think a lot of people use that term and they don't really fully understand what it means. So we'll not go into that now. <laughs> but, but Stephen Moffat has previous when it comes to wiping out the past. Mm. And the series has previous when it comes to calling somebody dead when really all you've done is changed a character's history. Mm. So that's my theory. Amy and Rory get their baby back and go off to bring up their baby and the adult River Song, as we know her, never exists. That's a good prediction. Hmm. Well, you, you've set it now. Well, if it's this not that, we're going to be coming round your house, Stephen Moffat, with our pitchforks <laughs> and our blazing torches <laughs> wanting to know why. Well, you will. <laughs> You're not going to join me? I don't mind, Stephen. He's right. We can record it. It would make a great episode of the podcast. It would, actually. Yeah. We could get an interview with Stephen Moffat just before we kill him. We did have a tantalising little peek at the next series because they released a, a the trailer. sort of trailer, yeah. yeah, which looked pretty cool. They'd only filmed two episodes. Hmm. I mean, they wouldn't normally, they wouldn't ordinarily have released a trailer having only filmed two episodes mm. but it was the um, official convention wasn't it yeah so obviously they wanted something to show at the official convention so basically they just cut 60 seconds worth of material out of those two episodes and also it is a, a fairly long gap this time around compared to what it's been previously well this is the longest gap including the gap year that we've had between any two episodes of doctor who since the tv movie and rose you'll only ever be three months away from your next yeah. series of doctor who well, I've got no, I've got no bones about the showrunners telling us those kinds of lies. If they're going to say things like that, that's fair enough. That's just as long as they keep just, making it, I keep enjoying. Yeah, it. that's how you there. promote a show. Yeah. You come up with quotes like that to excuse the fact that something's changed. And if people are going to take it that seriously, well, I'm sorry, they're wrong to really because mm. you know it's a quote for that was a quote for 2010. Mm. And now we're in 2011, that quote is obsolete, and the next quote is, you know, it's going to run for 14 weeks during the winter, and we're going to be very happy with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, we should be happy that it's still on, for goodness mm. sake. Yeah. I still remember the dark times of 2001. But people do forget you that, know, don't they? 1993. <laughs> <laughs> All those times I went to conventions and everybody was very, very, you know, depressed. Hey, we had dimensions in time. Yeah. Are you going to shoot him? <laughs> You're not being very helpful there, Mark. <laughs> well, on top of that, we've got, um, well, the Weeping Angels. They're coming back, yeah. Yeah, and that's in the story in which yeah. Rory and Amy leave. Um, what do you think about that? Because uh, obviously Blink, well, I say obviously, to me, Blink's one of the strongest uh, stories I've seen in a long, yeah. long time. Yeah, and, we're all big uh, fans. Aren't and you? then, you know, Flesh and Stone, Time of the Angels. One <sighs> half I quite enjoyed, the other half I didn't. And yes. then I started thinking, well, why? Why bring this monster back? Because it just felt like it could be a one-off that you always would love to have back, like those articles. Yeah. yeah. If the Weeping Angel has been left to that one story, we would always have said afterwards, 
the weeping angels in hushed tones. Yeah. But then he brings them back in a story and he, he gives them a completely different mode of operation in that story. Mm. And then, I mean, they're a completely different monster in all but name, to I mean, be honest. Did explain it to a degree by saying that the ones that they met in Blink were kind of separated. You off can, from... That's the thing, though. You can throw a line of dialogue in to excuse anything, but an excuse is not the same thing as a reason. Mm-hmm. If he wanted to do that story properly... It should not have been the Weeping Angels. It should have been something else. So does it look like we're going to get that splinter group back that touch you, throw you back in time? Well, I don't know. I think the hints are that it's going to be more of a story in which the Weeping Angels behave like they did in Blink. Plus, it's only a single 45-minute episode. Mm. So, I mean, let's be honest. In the time of Angels, and in Blink, to be perfectly frank, the Weeping Angels were the least important aspect of it. Blink was about, you know, the doctor leaving the messages so that the kids could sort the mess out without him actually being there. Mm. And the Weeping Angels were just, you know, the icing on the cake. I mean, Blink came from a short story in one of the Doctor Who storybooks that Doctor Who magazine used to do. And in the short story, it's exactly the same story, except there's no Weeping Angels in it. Mm. So the story exists without the Weeping Angels. Mm. They were just, you know, if you're going to deliver a 45-minute episode for the TV programme... You put a monster in there. Yeah, I mean, it, the, as a monster themselves, a they look great. B they've got a great, uh, like you say, mode of operation. And and thirdly, I thought it was really well directed as well and brilliantly acted. Blink, yeah. you're talking, yeah. yeah. And we didn't even have the Doctor and Martha in it. I know so, it's like the best episode of Doctor yeah. Who there's been in the last five years, mm. and the Doctor's not in it. And also, mm. when you consider compared to some of the episodes that perhaps had a bit more of a budget. I think it had a much greater effect than some of the ones that were yeah, in the series. Just goes to show what you can do with a low budget. Yeah. I mean, it's all about the characters and about the tension. Mm. And it's not about the special effects or, you know, where you can set this, what you can do with this. Mm. It's about what you can do without it, really. Yeah. So who was the director on this one? Do you remember? Oh, my God. Alice Troughton. I think it was Alice Troughton, yeah. No relation. No relation. Well, yeah. unless somebody Has wants to tweet sense? in and correct us. Has she done anything well, sense? Well, she's gone off to do other telly. She did another episode of Doctor Who the same year. She was. I, oh, you're putting me right on the spot. I am. I'm Can we change the subject? <laughs> for the moment. <laughs> Actually, the odd thing is, most of the directors who worked for Rusty Davis would stay on the show and do several episodes across a couple of years. Most of the ones that Stephen Moffat's used have just done the one block of maybe two episodes and then gone on. Hardly any of them have come back. He was a guy that did the um, the Christmas special because he did quite a few in a row, didn't mm. he? For he did the last few of that series, I think. Yeah, because so he he had a run. I think he ran into several episodes. I think but then again, two, his name has not been mentioned for these upcoming episodes. Yeah. I don't think. So Errol Slynn mixed it up a lot. Errol Slynn? No, Errol no, Slynn's not done Doctor Who since the end of time. To, that yeah. was his oh, last Doctor really? Who. David yeah. Tennant. Yeah. So who did the Christmas? special oh god knows don't get me on directors get me back on writers <laughs> i can do writers let's do directors for another podcast <laughs> yeah we'll talk about that another time we suppose we should go back to the subject of the news i suppose because yeah, yeah. we have got some more to get through go okay chris chibnall's doing two episodes right How do episode you feel about two that? and episode four that's significant chris chibnall is the first writer since the series came back, apart from the guy who's running the show, Stephen Moffat and Russell T. Davis, who's done two stories in the same series. Ah. Well, he did. Uh, he was involved in Torchwood, yeah? Yeah, yeah he did hugely. Torchwood, yeah. yeah. The first so, two series, just before it got good. 
Yeah. <laughs> he was also responsible for 42 as well. Yeah, and the Silurian story. Mm. And also he did Camelot for Channel 4 and mm. Law and Order UK for ITV. The first series of that. I think he left after the first right, series. So far, none of this is a striking chord of right, genius. No. But, uh, you know, 42, I, I, I rather enjoyed. I, I quite enjoyed the, the silly idea of it running for 42 minutes. Yeah, the opposite not like most of the other epi- most of the other episodes that had preceded <laughs> it haven't actually done that anyway without yeah, actually yeah. saying it. Mostly in real time, anyway. Doctor, yeah, mm-hmm. um, it is and these obviously days, the reverse yeah. of twenty four, which was quite amusing as well. And you know, the, the sun eating away at someone's uh, soul and all, that, and, and the living inside. I, I liked all that. I thought it was quite good. It was I very liked... sort of Solaris stroke sunshine. But that's it. It came out the same time. Yeah, um, you just uh, had the remake of Solaris, and you just had um, sunshine, sunshine coming up. Mm. And uh, yeah, it looked like it. It looked like a bit of a bandwagon jumper, didn't it? Yeah, though RTT did say that he came up with the idea before. Yeah. Oh well, it wouldn't surprise me. Just when something like that happens, you can't really escape it, can you? No. So anyway, Chris Chibnall. Yeah. Well, he's the Doctor Who writer that Doctor Who fans love to hate. (laughs) I mean, he is, isn't he? He has a reputation that most Doctor Who fans just can't get on with. He was the guy on, and it's on the Trial of a Time Lord DVD, he was the guy who harangued Pip and Jane Baker live in the TV studio when they were doing a, well, do you remember the name of the programme, yeah. Open Air? Was that the famous one where J&T came out with the memory cheats? Oh, no, he'd already said that years before, hadn't Had he? he? Oh. I think so, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And, and, you know, I remember the one you're talking about. Uh, memory cheats, J&T said that when he took over, I think. Mm. But, yeah, Chris Chibnall was this spotty... 17-year-old in a pair of glasses in the audience who looked like your what was then thought of as your typical Doctor Who fan. Mm. And unfortunately, he goes live on air to harangue the people who are actually paid to write the programme in front of an audience of 2 million viewers on BBC Two or whatever it was. And very sadly, you know, left the entire audience with the impression that their stereotype of what a Doctor Who fan was was in fact what a D- Doctor Who fan was. Mm. And that's Chris Chibnall, and he's never going to live that down. And it doesn't matter how good his episodes might be, if you think his episodes are good, he's always going to be that fan. What a shame. You have to be careful what you say. <laughs> but then again, <clears throat> well, I mean, this is again something to talk about another time. Yeah. Potential next showrunner. Really? Well, he's got, there's only, what, three people in the running to be the next showrunner after Stephen Moffat. Three people with the right experience. Toby Whithouse. Mark Gatiss, Toby Whithouse, Chris Chibnall. They're the only ones who've got enough experience of Doctor Who and of running shows on other stations Mm. to do it. So those three are the front runners. I mean, whatever you might think of Chris Chibnall or Mark Gatiss, because I know a lot of people don't like his stories all that much either. Mm. And a lot of people don't like Toby Whithouse's either. Well, that's, I mean, the, that's the world of Doctor Who, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, everybody... <laughs> well, that's the thing about Doctor Who. It has a completely unfettered premise. There's nothing that program can't do. So, you know, your writers are given a completely blank canvas. All they have to do is get the character of the Doctor and the blue box in their story... And anything else goes. Hmm. So, you know, Doctor Who fans, you like the premise. You like certain specific things about the programme. But what you really like about the programme is the fact that it can go anywhere and do anything. So you've got to accept that people are going to write stories that you don't like. 
Well, that's one of the things I like about Doctor Who is the fact that the variety, can, yeah, the diversity. You can chat to friends, and everyone's got their own idea. Everybody's of what got they their own opinion. A, yeah, mm. exactly. So you could have someone defending an episode, you know, to the death. Forty-two. The Dominators. For example. Yeah, the do- I like the Dominators. Did you see? There you are, see? I mean, band. it is dull, but I like it. It mm. is It is two hours of Patrick Troughton, Wendy Padbury, Fraser, Fa- <laughs> Fraser Hines. <laughs> nearly said something awful there. <laughs> Fraser Hines, Patrick Troughton, Wendy Padbury, running around, having immense fun. Yeah, well, okay. You've got that. You've got me on that. That's, that's, yeah, that's I can't. Image. Why would anybody not want to watch that? I don't know. If we, Somebody should do a remix. They should recut and re, you know, what's the word? Re-edit. Re-edit, thank you. Mm. All of the really too long, dull, overlong, old Doctor Who episodes. That Down we into... So I'll tell you what. just be the Pertwee era. <laughs> Underworld, you know that'd be good. Just cut it down to maybe twenty minutes. See if you can make something from that. I bet. So be, well, you tell you what. If you get rid of episodes two, three, and four of Underworld, you've got twenty-five minutes, and the yeah. episode one is good. Okay. There so go. there you go. That's Underworld. And they just sorted. Tap the end on. Yeah, you don't even need to. Well, no, just leave it. Just cut just before <laughs> the cliffhanger. So there's no cliffhanger. Hey, we're just like floating merrily through space, man. Really free. And there you go. That's the end of Underworld. Twenty-two minutes. Great story. Anything else new? Come on, <laughs> anything else new? Well, we know news? about the first episode. Well, I don't. Apparently, I, I read somewhere today, you might correct me uh, if I'm wrong, please, about Daleks okay, yeah. in the first episode. But every known Dalek mm. is going to make an appearance. The BBC website published a bunch of quite cleverly taken photos that kind of gave you little hints as to what you're going to get, and they kind mm. of had a little line at the end of their piece saying um, the Daleks are coming back, but which version? Answer, all of them. And then, <clears throat> well, in those photos, you could see what looked like a Genesis Dalek, mm. and the other ones looked like the new ones or Rusty Davis, or you couldn't quite tell, mm. or it could have been this, it could have been that. The only one that you could really make out was um, one in Genesis colours. And then, like, two days later, Stephen mm. Moffat tweets a picture of um, the Doctor and Amy, you know, posing in a cave with an Evil of the Daleks 1967 black top, silver with blue hemispheres Dalek. Mm. And there you go. That I mean, set it, the fan world alight. <laughs> um, we nearly wet ourselves when we saw that. <laughs> well, I, I quite. Anyway. But, um, you know, come on. Okay, let's have another, another prediction. How could they have all of these in, in one place? Are well, we I mean, a museum here? It could be a museum or it could be a Dalek's graveyard. Oh, that's nice. I like that. I mean, if it depends. You know, you could, if you weren't Stephen Moffat, you could tie it into the Time War and say... Here's a little story, 45-minute story, that's taking place right on the fringe of the Time War. And, you know, the Daleks who are fighting in the Time War, all the Daleks from right across the history of the Daleks, and there's some anomaly in space and time that's drawing some of the Daleks out and plonking them on this planet. Hmm, that sounds good. So, yeah, you could do something. I, he won't have done that. That's, you know, I'm not predicting that. He won't have done that. But, I mean, that's how you could go about doing something like that. It's not that difficult. You can tell you're a writer. Thanks. <laughs> That's a really good story. If he hasn't done that, you should do that. Uh, yeah, that'll be my next audio play, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, do you have an audio play coming out? <laughs> I do. We'll talk about that another time. <laughs> Excellent. But yeah, you could do. Actually, my first audio... No, I can't. No. <laughs> Change the subject. Talk about 
Yeah, Back to the subject of the Daleks. There, like, stop him there, for goodness sake. So it could be a planet where Daleks are being drawn out of time and, you know, landing up accidentally. It could be a Dalek's graveyard where... I love that idea. Well, I mean, potentially, the creatures inside the Daleks don't always need to be in the same machine. You could say, oh, you know, silver with blue hemispheres has become obsolete. Let's all hop out and hop into these gunmetal grey versions. Oh, the gunmetal greys become obsolete. Let's all hop inside the bronze, slightly bulkier ones. And, you know, what happens to the old casings when the Daleks have, you know, deserted them? Daleks' graveyard. It'd be, mm. like, it'd be like mutants at a Pippa party, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Trying on different clothes. <laughs> yeah. But there's nothing in the picture to suggest that these old Daleks... I mean, there's nothing that they've tweeted that suggests these do- yeah. old Daleks are actually alive. Mm. No, they look pretty dead and cobweb to me. Yeah, so, I mean, could mm. just be the casings. Or, you know, what I think will happen is you'll find this great big cavern filled with dead Daleks, and then two minutes from the end of the episode, they'll all suddenly jerk back into life, won't they? I mean, that's pretty much a given, isn't it? Well, I hope they do come alive. Something's got to come alive. Well, I mean, you know, you're going to get the new paradigm Daleks in there, aren't you? Yeah. This is all the Daleks. Is this just a way to try and write them out? Because they are generally not liked, liked very much. Well, I don't know. He has said since, after the reaction to their first appearance, he has said since that, well, I don't know if this was him that said it, but, uh, you know, it has been said that the paradigm could become like an officer class of Dalek with the sort of bronze Russell T. Davis mm. ones as the sort of warrior class. Mm. And that could potentially work. Or it would have yeah. worked if in that first story we hadn't seen the officer class turning on the warrior class and wiping them out. Yeah. So, you know. No, is... I did like that scene very much. Oh, really? Yeah, I like the scene of the, of the newer Dalek getting rid of the old trash. But I just kind of thought, well... Wrong way round. Wrong way round, <laughs> really. Um, yeah. You know, the, the huge Dalek, it took a really weird, uh, I don't know, weird turn, didn't it? It's just so huge. It's so massive. It really won't get through doors. It's just going to have to destroy your house. And it's kind of like, also, every single Dalek we've had up to this point has had exactly the same silhouette. Whatever you've yeah. done with the colour scheme or with the, you know, eyes at the top or the, you know, the lights and whatever you've done with the base to make them slightly taller or slightly mm. bulkier, and even the Russell T. Davis ones, you know, in silhouette, they're all exactly the same. And then the new paradigm comes across, and, you know, this got a different silhouette. A hunchback is a yeah, hunchback. To it's me. Not, yeah, it's not a Dalek silhouette anymore. I but mean, you can obviously tell still that it's a Dalek, but it's not the same. Would people have reacted differently if they were jet black, for instance, and not kind of smarty colours? I don't know, because, you see, the thing that I liked about them was the colours. Really? Yeah, I didn't mind the colours. I, it, I bet you liked the Candy Man as well, didn't you? I did like the Candy. Yeah, man. I knew it. <laughs> but the thing about the but the thing about the colours in Victory of the Daleks is yeah. it reminded me of the Peter Cushing movies. Yeah, no, yeah, it did actually. But I just thought it was the wrong time. I mean, they were looking so cool. Victory of the Daleks. Yes. Not my favourite, but the um, green one, the Ironsides, the Ironsides. Oh. Yeah, looked really good. Yeah. It looked really good. It looked better almost than the gold Dalek. I, I mm. love this gritty. Almost Genesis looking. Yeah, dark, yeah. You know. Yeah, it was and then actually. Suddenly, bing, bing, biddy, leading. It's the Tully Tubby version. They just yeah, all pop out. Yeah. Mm, to know. me, I, I think other people said this as well, but to me, it felt like they tried to cram it all into one episode, whereas you had quite an interesting, interesting story building, um, but it just kind of got caught short. And Do you know what Victory of the Daleks was? That was a season arc stuck in 40 minutes of television. Mm-hmm. 
because you know what you really wanted was an episode at the start with the iron sides and then an episode halfway through where you suddenly find the iron sides are up to something mm. and at the end of the sort of halfway stage of the season they've built the paradigm and then at the end of the season you've got the two-part season finale where the doctor confronts the paradigm that's how that story should have worked and the whole sort of callback to power of the daleks as well that's yeah cool. i mean and it lasted on screen for about three minutes yeah, yeah. it was wasted mm. it was there were some great ideas completely wasted you're right it's a four-parter it is. Yeah. And it's a, it's those four, four parts part. should have been spread throughout an entire series. Yeah, 25 minutes each, four-parter. Oh, well, yeah, maybe. That's what it was. Yeah, it was, yeah. But anyway, so on to new Daleks. Do you think the Paradigm are going to last, or are they going to get... I think they're here now. I don't think they're going anywhere. I honestly don't. I don't know how much they cost to make, but I'm guessing they're going to want to get their money's worth out of them. Yeah, mm. I can't see them getting rid of them. I and anyway, can't. we've not seen their can owners and stuff on the back of their... No. Or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, we were told that hunch at the back was so that, you know, various other bits and pieces could come out and be used by the Daleks, and we've not seen it. Like legs. Spider legs. Maybe. Who They've knows? ran out of budget. That's the reason yeah. why we didn't see it, apparently. They didn't have enough to s- left for the CGI that they would have had to use to, um, to do that. make mm. it operational, yeah. Uh, apparently, that's what people yeah. say. Okay, so we've uh, we got Daleks coming back. We know the angels are coming back. Any anything else? Oh, or? one thing about the Daleks in this trailer. I don't know if you've seen the trailer. Yeah. When they went to Spain to film Toby Whithouse's episode three, they also spent a morning or an afternoon or whatever filming a couple of bits for the Dalek episode, and they went up to the mountains to film in the snow. And it's a nod back to um, World's End, first episode of Dalek Invasion of Earth. And the Executioners, is it? The first episode of The Chase? No, it can't be The Executioners. Anyway, the first episode of The Chase ends with a Dalek coming out of the sand. First episode of Dalek Invasion of Earth ends with a Dalek coming out of the River Thames. Mm -hmm. And then you've got this shot in the trailer of the Dalek coming up out of the snow. Oh, nice. Yeah. That sounds good. Well, it's not the Dalek, though, is it? It's an eye stalk. Well, Dalek eye stalk. Yeah, Mm. but you know what I'm saying. It's a nod to the past. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. And I I like episodes with snow in. More snow, please. Yeah. We've only had the youth sphere, haven't we? Yeah. And that's it. And well, it's expensive to do. And the thing <laughs> is, these in the old days, you're filming Doctor Who in a 40 foot by 40 foot studio. Not so difficult to fill that with snow. These days, you're filming it outdoors. Yeah. You know, or in, you know, a ruddy great studio. Not so easy to fill it with snow and make it look realistic, I wouldn't have thought. Oh, no cheap flights to Scotland. They've not done any. Yeah. <laughs> They've not done any jungles either, have they? Not proper jungles. No, no, they did. They did the um, what do they call it? The forest vault in the Angel two-parter. That's right. Two yeah. years ago, but that's the nearest yeah. we've had to a jungle. Bring back Nightmare of Eden. That's what I say. Mm. Or a jungle planet. I'd like to see a jungle planet. Okay. You know, Planet of the Daleks. For all that people think it's ridiculous, I still love that story. I do. And the book. I mean, the book is great. I lived with that book for so many years, and those jungles in that book were so real and so <laughs> dangerous. Hey, we're seeing a very passionate JR. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, I will talk passionate. about Planet of the Daleks a lot more on a future podcast. Because... You mentioned Target books. They're going to release a lot more of the yeah. original ones, re-release. With... Well, I think we're going to do an episode on the Target books. Mm-hmm. So we'll leave that But that's, a new, that's a, new, a new piece of news, so mm. I think that fits with this episode. Yeah, so six any, more Target books anything in else May, we need to, Anything else we need oh, to we've not talked about episode three yet. Right, episode three it is. Which is the one that they filmed the bulk of in Spain. Doubling for the Wild West in America. Mm. They filmed it on the old Good, the Bad and the Ugly oh, 
Fantastic Gunfighters sets. 2. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Maybe. Linda Barron's going to come on and sing all the way through. No, 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 please. Not that, no. Oh, she <laughs> was in it last year, so she ain't coming back again. No, it'd be yeah. too weird for the continuity. Yeah. I've got to say, I watched the Gunfighters recently mm. for the first time properly. Because okay, oh, right. I have watched it, but I, I never really took any notice of it, strangely enough. But I watched it properly from start to finish, and I thought, I'm not going to enjoy this. Everybody says it's rubbish. And I loved it. Yeah. yeah. I think it gets yeah. really... I loved it. I love William Hartnell in it. It's yeah. some real comedy kind of yeah. moments for him. Yeah. And it's... Apart from the song. That's terrible. Yeah. Uh, the, song, the trouble with the song is, if you watched it 25 minutes at a time with yeah. no, you know, repeat availability, and it was a week apart you know, three or four instances of the song each week when last week's episode was but a distant memory, mm. that would have been okay. But, you know, the thing with these DVDs now and the VHS, <laughs> you tend to sit down and watch it all in one go, don't you? No, all these DVDs. Yeah. Well, the thing <laughs> is, a song like that is going to get on your nerves if you sit down and watch the whole story in one go. But it wasn't, you know, people keep saying this and it's so obvious and such a cliche. It wasn't meant to be seen like that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And the accents were terrible. Uh, yeah, and the acting then, wasn't great. And the story yeah, but then, was like I say, I watched Titanic this afternoon, and the accents <laughs> were terrible in that yeah. too. We can't even do accents in modern telly, so it's no surprise they couldn't do them back in the 1960s. But I loved it. No, I think it gets a tough rap. I think there are a lot worse. They, they did the poll, didn't they, in Doc Two magazine a few years ago, the, the 200. Yeah, uh, where they asked readers to vote for their favourites. I don't, I can't remember what number it came in at, but I get the impression it was fairly low it was low it was probably like 160 something maybe Mm -hmm. because it wasn't right at the bottom no but it wasn't too far off twin dilemma well yeah Yeah. well i'm hoping that if there are any gunfighters fans out there that we can try and raise this up in the polls i want i want it in (laughs) next time there's a poll we want 50 yeah we want gunfighters to (laughs) be out of the bottom 25 percent. yes please yeah can we do that actually go and watch it and and enjoy it for what it is and just next time you're voting in a poll somewhere just give it a 10 Give you might a... not mean it, but nobody else is going to, so it's not going to make all that big a difference in the long run. Yeah, Just no- give it a 10. It is anonymous. <laughs> Quite okay, so. So, so uh, episode three. Episode three is, well, I mean, this trailer's out in the world, so we're not spoiling anything by saying it's got a half-human, half-cyborg gunslinger. Oh, what? I didn't know that. You just totally spoiled it for me. Well, you'd have found out. The trailer's out there in the world. It's that not like great. it's any. Well, I mean, I say half human, half cyborg. That's what it looks like. Nobody actually knows, of course. Right. So we're talking Westworld because that was a great. We film. are talking Westworld. Yeah. yeah, essentially, from what you can tell of the trailer. Why not? It's a great film. Good to rip it off. Yeah, I mean, Doctor Who has a long history of taking influences from elsewhere and yeah. and making a Doctor Who story out of them. I mean, Brain of Morbius is a classic example. Yeah. Everybody loves Brain of Morbius, and everybody knows it's based on Frankenstein. So, you know, again. if we get a story these days that's quite obviously based on, say, Westworld, why should we complain? It might be this year's Brain of Morbius. Yeah, I, I think it probably is. That, that would be the quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In front of the this DVD. Brain of Morbius. Well, I'll stick that in my Starburst review. <laughs> Okay, so anything else? What's uh, what else have we got that's brand new that you can tell us about? Well, I don't. I think that's pretty much the end of the Doctor Who news, as is right. as far as the episodes are concerned. We know there are eight more episodes afterwards, which, so we know what the first six are. Mm. We don't know anything about the story that's going to introduce this girl. No. no, we don't know what the character's name is, although I've heard a couple of suggestions. Like, well, I'm not going to say on air. I don't think it's fair in case either of them turns out to be true. Well, it depends on where you heard them from. I mean, my mum 
Okay. If I give her a call, she no, might when say, I say I've her heard... name's called, I don't know. When I say I've heard Danny. suggestions, I mean in the spoiler threads. Oh, okay. No, we're not going to go there. Well, one's from a spoiler thread and one's from a mate of mine who usually gets good information. Right. Well, we're definitely not going there then. We no. The one that's been mentioned in the spoiler thread is actually almost syllable for syllable the same as the name of somebody who works on the program except feminised. So it's... You know, unlikely Stevie to be that. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they've deliberately named it after this person who works on the program, it's unlikely to be this name, I would have thought. Stephanie. That's what I reckon. <laughs> no, it's not Stephen Moffat we're talking about. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> but you know what I mean. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. But I, I wouldn't think it's fair to say a name, the other name that I was given, just in case it does turn out to be right, because people don't want to find out by listening to a podcast. If you want to find out, you know, find me on Twitter, ask me personally, I'll tell you what I've heard, but I'm not going to tell people in public. Mm. Mark, any ideas of the name? What would you like the name to be? Maybe they'll bring you back Dodo. I think... (laughs) Mark's zoned out now, I think. (laughs) You've gone mad in the corner there. Okay, I'll tell you the name I heard. The name I heard was Adric Dialzarius. You know, it's out there now. Yeah. I think yeah, I prefer exactly. She's Adric <laughs> reincarnated after all he did die in a time crash into the body of a woman. Mm. Well done. So, not, uh, Dodo? Where'd that come from? She's one of the original uh, companions. William Hartnell. Yeah, but yeah, he's yeah. saying, why oh, would the new one be called well, Dodo? Well, yeah, obviously he's gone back to an earlier point in our uh, time stream and picked her up. You joking? Should be a baby. I am joking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank. Yeah. Mm. Well, I don't have a clue. No, quite. I mean, this is what every time a new companion's about to be announced, everybody mm. sort of thinks to themselves, "Ooh, what would I like the new companion to be?" And they're like, "Ooh, I'd like her to be from the future or the past or from an alien planet." She's an alien. Do you think it was a fairly safe choice, though? Do you mean the actress? Hmm. I would say, I heard two names on the day before. I was in the middle of making a point, Mark. I'm sorry. Thanks I'm sorry. very much for <laughs> stepping all over that. I would, say, I would say, of the two names I heard, you know, the night before the announcement was made, the other one would have been the more obvious choice, because the other one was a tall, slightly odd, but pretty looking mm. Gallic lass. Mm. And so it would have been Amy Pond Mark II. Yeah. And so this one, at least, is coming from, well, hopefully coming from somewhere a bit different. In terms of looks coming from somewhere a bit different. Mm. In terms of the character, you know, Stephen Moffat said she's going to be another motor mouth, so how that yeah. differentiates you, between you Amy and the new I was about to say, yeah. she, she has been, you know, she's going to talk faster than the Doctor. And yeah. He talks fast. And I've got to say, I have problems keeping up. It's an old man's brain problem, I think, but, you know. Keeping up with the programme, I think, Trying to keep days. up with it. It's, too it's not easy. You know, uh, junking all this kind of info onto us in three seconds flat you know like, oh, i'm trying to keep up i'm trying to keep that up. is the but with, problem uh, with, with him Who. and a possibly a companion doing the same thing it could almost be too fast so yeah I really hope they pace it so they, well or just if there's information make sure the information's not hidden in some great big long sentence that mm. you have to sort of sit around for five minutes trying to work out afterwards because Donna could talk. Because this this happened yeah. before the Daleks in Victory of the Daleks. At the end of Victory of the Daleks, you know, you had this scene where Amy hadn't recognised the Daleks. And the Doctor said, why didn't you recognise the Daleks? What's the explanation for that? Nobody could explain it. Mm. And to this day, people are still waiting for the explanation. 
Well, they explained it in The Big Bang. It's just that, you know, it was in the middle of a really snappy piece of dialogue and it was gone. Mm. And before you could take in the fact that it had been explained, you were on to the next scene and the next thing. And, you know, there's your explanation and it's disappeared. Mm. And, I mean, even when you watch it back. I mean, I was looking for that and I didn't catch that till the third time I watched it. Yeah, it's too quick. Yeah, I mean, 8 million people watch Doctor Who, but only, what, 100,000 buy the DVDs? Yeah. And maybe another 100,000 watch repeats or iPlayer yeah. repeats? And about a million of them are sitting down arguing with their children and eating sausages. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be taking in all that information. But what we're saying here is, like, of the 8 million people who watch Doctor Who, 7 and 3 quarter million of them just watch it the once. You know, so you, you've got to make sure that information gets into their brains. It's Saturday night telly it needs to be you know it's good that it can be fast and witty and mm. pretend yeah, but, to be complicated but like you know my mum and dad to be quite you know we'll be sit there and watch it for instance and so will lots of other families and, and my point is that when you're sitting down and you're watching a family program you, it needs to be easy to understand for e- all the family for all the family and not just for all the family and but because all the family's there eating your food eating your yeah. breakfast not breakfast <laughs> well I eat my breakfast while watching, watching dog too but normally you eat your food and you're having a drink and you're talking or whatever I don't I like to watch the episode properly like a like a fanboy you know no one's allowed to talk <laughs> people have sellotape over their mouths that kind but of you thing. can't always do that <laughs> but most people you but know, most people just watch it just as, watch a, family, it as yeah. a family so it needs to make sense it needs to be instant and, and easy and accessible if you're going to make it too fast for 45 minutes you know all the way through I think Stephen Moffat had that problem off. with the first year I think he pulled it back a bit the second year mm-hmm. I think series 6 was a vast improvement on series 5 in all sorts of areas Matt Smith when he gets angry, he goes quiet, and I really like that. You know, he goes he goes quiet and a bit broody, and then he explodes a bit. Yeah, I like that. That's a really good, you know, quality to have, as opposed to the David Tennant talking so fast you can. Yeah, up. just getting going up and up and up a notch. Yeah, yeah. and I like Matt Smith. I think he's a great doctor, and fortunately, we're going to see him with a different companion. Because at one time, the suggestion was that Matt Smith, Karen Gillan, and um, Arthur Darville were all going to leave together. Mm. And so you'd have had two years or three years or whatever it might have been at the point they left of just the uh, same three characters. So uh, I'm I'm glad we're going to be seeing him with someone yeah, else. Yeah, it'd be a really interesting dynamic, I reckon. Yeah. And I, I, do you know the other thing I was, I was really hoping for? You might disagree with me here, okay? But Craig... Uh, I never used to like the actor uh, who played Craig. James Corden. James Corden. He annoyed me a bit. Mm. But I really fell in love with him uh, You know, after that episode. And I thought, oh, he's really good. And I went back and watched a lot of his stuff and thought, actually, no, he's, he is great. Gavin actor. and Stacey. Very funny. Gavin and Stacey. Very he's funny. Great. Yeah. Brilliant, yeah. Um, and I just thought, he would make a fantastic companion. Him, you know, because they've worked together on the History Boys. There was, yeah. Yeah, and all, all kinds of other stuff. And I think he would work There was a rumour at one point that... Um, after Amy and Rory left last time, last mm. summer, that the Christmas special was going to have Craig in it and he would be staying on for the next season. And that was the rumour, one of the many, many, many rumours that goes around. So there was a rumour at one point, but it never came to be. It, it would just be great if he was changing his child's nappy, 
tumbled backwards, fell into the TARDIS. The TARDIS <laughs> takes off, and he's got a whole season of him saying, Look, I, I, I'm in the middle of changing my. I've got to get back. I've got to get back. And he gets back, and he opens up, and he just manages to catch what comes out, or whatever, you know. It'd be, it'd be a hilarious <laughs> thing to do. Thanks for putting that image <laughs> in my head. <laughs> Brilliant. Cheers. But I was having so many adventures. You know, what's really important, yeah. he's got to come back to his baby. It's really mm. important that he gets back. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, they can have some hair raising adventures. I think it's fantastic. In the fantastic. meantime. Yes. I mean, Doctor Who, I mean, people didn't like The Runaway Bride all that much at the time, but I think mm. a lot of people have come to appreciate it now mm. because of its sort of screwball com- uh, comedy sort of angle on Doctor Who. But it really worked. The sort of fast-paced, slightly zany, slightly mm. madcap adventures of the Doctor and Donna, as it was at the time. I seem to remember at the time when they announced that Donna was going to come back, there, there was a lot oh, of the... negative response. Yeah. Otherwise. And Donna No, um, Donna Noble, think, and Catherine Tate proved everybody wrong. Yeah, I think it was really unfair, and I kept my powder dry until I'd actually watched the series. Do you know, the funny thing was, I'd never seen the Catherine Tate show when she was in it the first no, time. No, I never really watched so it So that either. scene at the end of that episode where she just showed up randomly in the TARDIS, I didn't even know who she was. Mm. And then obviously between then and Christmas, I saw a few trailers, saw in a few other things, and, you know found out a little bit about her because I knew she was going to be in this episode. But, you know, the other things that I saw her in were like a couple of films that she'd made. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't see her doing Nan or whatever the character's mm, called. Mm. I didn't see any of that stuff. So I didn't to know me, about any of that. All I knew her was as a straight actress. For me, she's probably the strongest companion since the series came back. I wouldn't say Catherine Tate's the best actress who's played a companion. I think Billy Piper's actually done the best acting job on a companion. But Donna Noble is the strongest character yeah. of a companion. Yeah. If you look oh. at that series, that fourth series. Yeah. That's unusual, but I'm mm. agreeing. Hmm. Yeah. But all three of us are agreeing now. That's a good, yeah. I yeah. Think I would definitely the say the one who surprised me the most with the acting has been Billy Piper. Mm. I don't think anybody expected her to be any good. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, all the, the only reputation she had was for the songs that she mm. did when she was like 16. Yeah. And nobody really knew anything else about her at all, did they? Apart from, the, you know, she'd married... Yeah. Chris Evans, Evans, and that was it. She made a few songs when Mm. she was 16. She married Chris Evans, dirty old man. And then then she was Doctor Who's companion, out of nowhere. Well, I think, you know, thank God that she came in. Thank goodness that she came in to to Doctor Who, because... You know, she she saved it really. I mean, Chris Eccleston was great, but mm. it was all about the companion in yeah. the first thirteen. If she episodes. made a hash of it. That would have been it. There would have been no series two. And so, in I a way, definitely. she paved the way for Catherine Tate. Mm. Yeah, because Catherine Tate, even though she did straight acting, was known as a comedian, and it was because Billy Piper, who'd been known as a singer, had made such a good job of it that I think, you know, people like Ross T Davis and um, Julie Graham and what have you didn't think they were necessarily on dangerous ground casting somebody like Catherine Tate mm. because that line in her already struck. They already knew that it could work. Mm. So, I mean, and she had done a few straight things. She'd been on the stage, I think, at that point. And she hadn't just done the comedy. Mm. And actually, if you see the comedy, you might not like the characters she does, but she gives a great performance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't like the comedy, but... Uh... Oh, anyway, Jenna, uh, is it Jenna Louise? Jenna Louise Coleman, yeah. Coleman, Jenna Louise Coleman. That's a good Named name. after the character from Blake 7, apparently. Well. Actually, if you could what, call what, Dynasty Blake 7, because she's named after <laughs> a character in Dynasty, isn't she? What more could you ask for? <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to seeing her nonetheless. I don't yeah. Know guys, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, a change is a good address. 
<laughs> and do you know Amy Pond? I didn't take to that character at all during series five, but I think they toned it down a lot for series six, and actually she's sort of won me over now. Uh, she's never going to be a companion I especially warm to, but you know she's not one that I actually dislike mm. anymore. And yeah. I have to say there were times during series five when I seriously wondered about the wisdom of casting that actress to play that part. Mm. So I think give it a few years to look back, and then yeah, probably back. right. Right. Well, I think that's about the end of this episode. I definitely think it is. Yeah, we need a cup of tea. (laughs) Okay, fair (laughs) enough. Well, obviously, this was the Blue Box podcast. I was JR. I was Mark. And I'm Lee. And uh, this was brought to you by Starburst magazine. You better uh, get online, check out www.starburstmagazine.com and subscribe to the damn magazine where you can uh, read what I have to say in the form of prose as well. And I think I also should give a little shout out to uh, Wesley Smith as uh, the music you'll be hearing in a few seconds time was uh, arranged by him. So that's Wesley Smith, our composer. Well, arranger. Uh, We'll see you next time when we'll uh, have a bit more of a theme for the show. So, cheerio. Cheers, guys. Bye.